0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community. Hey, good morning, church family. Happy New Year. We thought it would be fitting to start off the new year with a new sermon series. And so today we're going to start that new sermon series that we're calling Seven Letters to the Church. And what we're gonna do in this series is we're gonna look at the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. Yes, that book, Revelation, the one that freaks people out. (laughs) You know, for for many of us, 2020 has felt apocalyptic, and so it feels fitting to start the new year with an apocalyptic book like Revelation, right? But seriously, Revelation can, can be a tricky book. It can be a tricky book to read, to interpret, to apply. But it's there for a reason. And God included it in Scripture for our benefit. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the book of Revelation, it's the very last book of the Bible. And it was written by the Apostle John, who had a vision while he was incarcerated. And he was incarcerated on a prison island called Patmos. And the reason he was in prison was because he was preaching about Jesus. And the Roman authorities didn't care for that. And so they exiled him to this little 16 square mile prison island, hoping that it would somehow slow the growth of the early church. But while John was in prison, Jesus appears to him in a vision. And he tells John to write everything down that he sees and send it to the seven churches that are located in Asia Minor. So in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, Jesus gives John a specific message, a specific letter for each of these seven churches. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next seven Sundays looking at each one of these seven letters. Now, there's a couple of things that I appreciate about these seven letters to these seven churches in these opening chapters of the book of Revelation. One, these letters show how each church is a unique expression of God's kingdom. Each one of these churches had things they were good at and things they were not so good at. They each had their their own unique personality and identity and expression, which is one of the reasons that I'm convinced of our need for multiple local churches. Right, A, a, a church should never feel threatened by another local church that is preaching the good news of Jesus. In fact, we should praise God for other local churches that are doing that. Because each local church has a unique contribution to make to their neighborhood, to their city, to their region. So when you read these seven letters to these seven churches, you're going to see just how different they are. And you're also going to see how Jesus was with each one of them. He was at work in their midst, even though they were different from one another. Now, the second thing that I appreciate about these seven letters to these seven churches is they remind us of how committed Jesus is to forming and shaping and building his church. You know, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, in verse 18, Jesus made a promise. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And in these seven letters that we're going to look at, we see how serious Jesus is about that. We're going to find in these letters that he's personally involved with these churches. He's he's meeting each one of these churches where they're at. And he's calling them out into deeper transformation. And, And here's why that matters. Because not only was Jesus committed to shaping these early churches in Asia, he's committed to shaping and forming and building the church today he is involved, he is concerned with our spiritual growth, our development, our maturity, our ministry. See, Jesus loves us the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And so in these seven letters, we find Jesus working in the church. We find Jesus affirming what's healthy in these churches. But he also points out the things that are unhealthy in these churches, things that require repentance and response and change. And so our hope is that as we look at these seven letters to these seven churches, that we can recognize Jesus forming and shaping us. Now, before we get into these seven letters in the opening chapters of Revelation, it's really important to first understand the style of writing the book of Revelation is. So the Bible has seven primary genres or or categories of writing, categories of literature. The first one is narrative. And narrative parts of scripture are just the retelling of actual historic events. And so some of scripture is narrative. But there are other parts of scripture that are what's called wisdom literature. They're wisdom writings. They're, they're collective wisdom and general rules for life. And, and then there's poetry. Poetry is part of Scripture. And that's just scripture that's written in verse form. So your hymns, your laments, your psalms, these writings often utilize figurative language, right? If you read poetry, you're not reading something literal. A A lot of times there's figurative language involved and you have to approach it as such. Another type of writing in scripture is prophetic writing. Right? And 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 this type of writing many times uh, involves visions and specific messages from God. And and in these writings is a mix of both literal and figurative language. And so you have to decipher between the two. Uh, Then, of course, we have the Gospels, which are the part of Scripture that are first-hand accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus. After the Gospels, we have what's known as the Epistles. And these these are letters that are written to individuals and churches for specific and varied reasons and purposes. Um, Oftentimes, there were circumstances that led to their writing. And so they're very sermon-like in their language. They're very sermon-esque. And then lastly, we have apocalyptic literature that's in Scripture. And the apocalyptic writings employ figurative, symbolic language and images and word pictures. And at times, they can feel quite cryptic. Well, guess which genre the book of Revelation is? Yes, that's right. It's apocalyptic. And so we have to approach it as such. We have to understand the type of writing it is, and that it's gonna involve a lot of symbolism and numerology and word pictures and images. Okay, so let's take a look at these seven churches. Uh, The first of these seven churches that are addressed in the book of Revelation is the church at Ephesus. And Ephesus was one of the most influential cities in Asia at the time of this writing. It was located in the Gulf of the Aegean Sea. And so it was a very important commercial city. It was an export city. In fact, we know that it had three giant trade routes that converged in the city. And so there was constant commerce. There was continuous traffic going on in the city. The city also was called a free city. Rome had granted Ephesus the right to self-governance, which was a rare privilege. It was a special privilege and Ephesus not only was a free city, it was an economic booming city. It, it boasted a huge stadium, a large theater, and it actually housed one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was called the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana. And so the church in Ephesus, in many respects it it reflected the personality the qualities the characteristics of the city that it was in and so we have to keep that in mind as we read this letter to the church at ephesus because jesus was addressing a specific church in a specific city that had certain personality and characteristics and qualities and so let's read revelation chapter 2 In verse 1 says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. What is that? (laughs) Who is this from the one who holds seven stars in his hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands? What does that mean? Who is that? Well, in the previous chapter, in Revelation chapter 1, we're told it's Jesus. And we're also told that the seven stars in his right hand represent seven angels or messengers to these churches. And we're also told in Revelation chapter 1 that these seven golden lampstands represent the seven churches. You see all the symbolism here? Fortunately, we're told in the previous chapter what this all means. And so what we see at the outset is that Jesus is with these seven churches. We're told that he walks among them. He walks among these seven golden lampstands, these seven churches. And even though they have their own issues and problems, he is there with them, working in their midst. Look at verse 2. In three, let's read these next two verses. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. So Jesus tells John, write this down and send it to the church at Ephesus. Tell them I know all the things they do, that I've seen their hard work. I've seen their patient endurance. I've seen how they've suffered without quitting. And I want to ask you to pause and ponder this for a moment with me, because I find this so encouraging. I love the fact that Jesus sees all of our hard work He sees our patient endurance. He sees our suffering and how we we continue to move forward without quitting. He takes notice of that. Which means that all the times when you and I feel like what we're doing doesn't matter, that it's not making a difference, that nobody's even noticing it, Jesus does. You know, the book of Colossians chapter 3 in verse 23, exhorts us, whatever you do, do it as if you are working for the Lord. And, and Jesus here tells John, John, write this down. Tell the church at Ephesus that I see the sacrifice. I see the tears. I see the effort. I see the exhaustion. I see the perseverance. Tell them that I know all the things they do. Wow. I love that. Jesus goes on to, in, the, in these verses to, to tell the church at Ephesus another thing he notices about them. He says, you've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. Let me un- unpack that a little bit. See, because Ephesus was at the heart of these massive trade routes, there were all of these charismatic, itinerant shysters and frauds that were constantly coming through town. There were these self-appointed apostles that would bring these grandiose false teachings. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, he tells the Ephesian church leaders, watch out for the wolves who are going to try to come and devour the flock He tells that to the church at Ephesus because he knows that there's all these people that are going to come to town and they're going to try to to, uh, use their charismatic, grandiose teachings. that They're going to lead them astray and devour them. So the Ephesian church, because of that, had a reputation for listening carefully. They had a reputation for, for listening to teachers with a grain of salt. They were carefully guarded, right? They, they measured people's words and actions. They, they worked hard to discern and examine people's claims and their teachings. And Jesus tells them, I see that. And that's so good. That's healthy. I'm glad you do that. But then in the next verse, Jesus tells them how that's also worked against them in a few ways. Look at the the next verse, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4. Jesus says this, But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. See, their guarded in somewhat cynical nature had started to affect their love for God and each other. And you can see how this might happen, right? There's, there's such a thing as being too guarded. You know, I had a friend um, who was an assistant district attorney for the county that we lived in, and he was a close friend of mine. And I remember one day after about a year into, into his new job as assistant DA, um, I was asking him how work was going, and, and he said that he was going to leave and find another occupation. And, and that shocked me because I just thought assistant DA was like, that's what you go to law school for, to, to become a district attorney or to be a public defender. He had a really good job in the field that he wanted to go into. And so I asked him, why just one year into this are you thinking of, of, of leaving that occupation? And he said to me, Adam, I don't look at people the same. I'm in a courtroom all day and I'm hearing testimony and stories and trying to decipher and figure out what's true and what's not. And some of the things I hear are just awful. And I'm I'm looking at people and looking at their mannerisms and the way they respond and their body language. And I'm always trying to discern and, and judge where this person is coming from. Are they guilty? And it's made me cynical. He told me that when he goes to the grocery store, he sees people differently and that it was getting to him. It was affecting him. And so he left that occupation. He he actually became a pastor. And pastors a church in the Washington, D.C. area today. See, while it's healthy and good and right to examine and inspect people's fruit. If we're not careful, cynicism can take over. And it can dull and it can deteriorate our love for other people. And that's what happened to the church at Ephesus. They were guarded, but they were too guarded. They they became somewhat calloused. The next verse, verse five, Jesus says to them, look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Whoa. See, Jesus once said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he tells the Ephesian church here, look, Guys, you're you're being formed in a lot of great, healthy ways. You work hard. You endure suffering. uh, You don't quit. You're patient. You do a great job of, of discerning what you hear. You cling to solid teaching. But your love for God and others is growing dim. So go back to that. He tells them, go back to your origin, where this all began. Because if you don't, you can't be the church. Those two things, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself, those two things matter too much. See, as churches and followers of Jesus, we can get a lot of things right and still get it wrong. We can work hard. We can endure trials. We can be good soldiers. We can suffer hardship. We can stay committed. We can cling to good doctrine and solid teaching. Yet we can still miss what's important, loving God and loving others. And that doesn't mean those other things are unimportant. It just means that loving God and loving others has to come first. And so Jesus in this letter to the Ephesians he says, I see all these great things you're doing but your your love for God and for others has grown dim. See, I I understand the Ephesian church because I'm kind of like them in many ways. I'm I, you know, the good soldier, the, 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 the whole put your head down and do what needs to get done, no matter how hard it is, the whole guard your heart and mind from, from things that are unhelpful and distracting. I get that. I do that. And so it's easy for me, like it was for them, to, to lose sight of what matters. Loving God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. And loving my neighbor as myself. And I wonder if, if there's anyone else besides me today who needs this letter to the church at Ephesus. You, you just need this letter. Maybe you've, you've been working hard, you've been toiling, you've been enduring, you've been serving, you've been sacrificing, you've been persevering. Maybe you're consistent and steady and solid and all those things and, and, and you've guarded your heart well and you've guarded your mind well from all the false narratives and people that could derail you. But what you need more than anything is to go back to the start to return to the place where you first started following Jesus, where you responded to this call to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So I just want to pray for us that if there's anyone here that, are, that is watching this morning and, and this letter is your letter, Jesus is, is, is speaking this letter to you, I want to pray. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I, I'm just humbled by the fact that, that when Jesus looks at us, he sees all the hard work. He sees the perseverance. He sees the patient endurance. He sees the suffering without quitting. He sees our, our capacity to, to, to guard in a healthy way our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Oh Lord, I also thank you that not only does Jesus see all those good ways, those healthy ways we're being formed, but he sees some of the unhealthy ways we're being formed. And he loves us enough to to, to tell us what they are, even when they sting a little bit. So Holy Spirit, we want to listen. Give us ears to hear what Jesus is saying to us this morning through this letter to the church at Ephesus. Lord, for those of us who maybe have gotten too distracted with all of this doing that we forgot, that the first and primary call is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbors as ourselves. So Lord, for all my friends who, who, who struggle with cynicism, they struggle with um, performance, they struggle with doing, God, I pray that you would lovingly come and do what you did in this letter to the Ephesian church, that you would affirm the things that are good and that you would call out the things that are sinful and wrong and that we need to repent of and, and turn away from. Lord, we'll do our very best to listen. We'll do our very best to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to read Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, which is the last verse in this letter to the Ephesian church. And I want to read it as my benediction this morning. Listen to what it says, Revelation 2, 7, the very final thing that Jesus says to the church at Ephesus. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Amen. Amen. listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com.